We are in a teaching series called Love, and we're saying that in order to love have its fullest potential, we've got to unpack it, right? And put it in motion. Let me say that one other way. If I say I love you all day long, and I know there is needs to be met, and I walk by those needs, there is no love. It's just empty words. And I've said often a couple of times during the series that society and culture tends to say, hey, it's the thought that counts. I would contend strongly with that, that it's not the thought that counts. Jesus didn't think and say, I'm going to do something about it. Jesus came to earth, laid down his life on a cross. Action, unpacked, put in motion. So... um, The title for today's message, if you're taking notes on a note card that we've provided for you or on your smartphone, this is is a title for for your message. And I pray that uh, Jesus would speak to all of us. The title is Stooping Down to Stand Up for You. So make that personal. Let's take God's word. Let's grasp it with faith. Let's chew on it a little bit. Go home. Connect with somebody who's sitting in front of you or next to you or in front of you and say, what do you think about that? I'm not asking you to swallow, digest, and walk away. It's good when we chew on these things. Wrestle with it. We have a mind for a reason. But do grasp with faith and your imagination. So um, our text for today will begin in one of the Gospels. Uh, John chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. And before I get there, I want to read an excerpt from a book that is helping me prepare for, these, for this teaching. And this is how it begins. It says, The voices yanked her out of bed. Get up, you harlot, they said. What kind of woman do you think you are? Priests slammed open the bedroom door, threw back the window curtains, and pulled off the covers. Before she felt the warmth of the morning sun, she felt the heat of their scorn. Shame on you. You're pathetic and disgusting. She scarcely had time to cover her body before they marched her through the narrow streets. Dogs yelped. Roosters ran. Women leaned out their windows. Mothers snatched their children off of the path. Merchants peered out the doors of their shops. Jerusalem, the city they were in, became a jury immediately, and they rendered its verdict with glares and crossed arms. And as if the bedroom raid and parade of shame were inadequate, the men thrust the woman into the middle of what we would see today as a Bible class. So here's a setting. There's a woman who is caught in in the act of adultery, in the act, not after the act, not before that, in the act of adultery. The Bible tells us that there are these group of men who burst into the bedroom, snatch her from in the middle of the act of adultery, and they basically drag her through the cities, probably very little clothes on, maybe whatever she managed to grasp, and she's dragged through the city, People are condemning her, thinking, assuming, saying, and they literally drag her into what we wouldn't know today of a Bible study. Maybe church. Let's pretend for the sake of not going too far that that happened right now. 
somebody walks in, drags a woman and says, look what we cut. Horrific. Who does she think she is? Disgusting, pathetic, dirty. This is what's happening here. Let's not romanticize the Bible, right? It's hard. It's very real. It speaks to us today. And this is where we, ju- where we jump into John chapter 8. Right here, a few, first few verses. So Jesus is in the middle of that crowd. And the people who drag the woman into the middle of the crowd say, Teacher, this woman caught in the act of adultery was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? So there's a law, right? There's the law of the land. And the law says clearly, stone her. She has sinned against God and against man. The law says the consequences to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? So they're putting Jesus in the spot where they want to hear from him. Because Jesus just showed up on the scene, if you will. He's been teaching and preaching for some time. And he has come to preach grace and mercy. He has come to preach forgiveness and love. So they want to corner him. It's like the law of the land says stone her, kill her. So is that what you want us to do? But your message is different. So what are you going to do, Jesus? Try to go there. The woman is thrown to the floor, ashamed, insulted, naked, close to, probably. There's nowhere to run. There is nowhere to hide. There is no one to plead and cry out to help. There is nobody to say, intervene and make this stop. You ever felt like that? Maybe those closest to you made you feel like you could not run, like you could not hide. Maybe those who were closest to you, you feel like they stabbed you in the back. Maybe those who were supposed to be the role models, those are the ones who brought you, if you will, through the streets of the city, dragged you into the middle of a crowd and said you are pathetic and you are a failure. I know I've been there. Have you? Nobody said anything. Nobody intervened. Nobody moved close to try and cover her. No action. Alone. Desperate. Right? Ashamed and humiliated. No one stood up for her, but there was one who stooped down. says that Jesus stooped down and started to write in the dust with his finger. So there are no paved roads 
This is a long time ago. He grabs his finger. He starts to write something in the dust. And his reply comes because the crowd is demanding the execution of this woman while they're trying to catch Jesus, trap him. And he says, all right, here's the answer. Let the one who has never sinned, not the one who has sinned a little bit, the one who has never sinned, never fallen short, never missed the mark, ever, let that person throw the first stone. So a couple things happen here. Is we're reminded, we are reminded, that we've all fallen short. We're reminded that we are in need of a Savior, of somebody to stoop down and stand up for us. This is not a story exclusively about a woman caught in the act of adultery. Explicitly, that's what it says, but implicitly, we've all fallen short. Do we get that? We, we, we would do harm to ourselves if we walk out of here and say, that wasn't for me because I've never been caught in the act of adultery and thrown in the middle of a city. So next week, I'll come back and hopefully there's one about a male who lives in 75204 uh, 75 zip code and who is in X situation. We do great harm to ourselves in believing that this doesn't apply to us. Implicitly, we've all fallen short. Implicitly, that is us in the middle of the crowd, ashamed and humiliated, hearing the voices of those around us. Many times hearing our own voices you're a failure. You'll never amount to anything. Don't you see how bad you've got it? And we hear those voices. So what's the good news in all this? Let's continue to go. When the accusers heard the words of Jesus, say, if you've never sinned, then you go ahead, pull the trigger and throw the first stone. When they heard this, they slipped away one by one until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. They've got the rocks in their hands. They have pointed the fingers and they have jeered and mocked and humiliated. They're ready to cast judgment on her. The rocks are ready. The way we do justice is by killing her. But there's something that happens in all the people's hearts, right? Because the charges are dropped and literally the rocks fall to the ground. And they start to slip away. One by one, they're like, well, that, I can't throw it because I know I, I'm not perfect. One by one, they slip away. Here are some things to get from this. Is it when we feel the accusation of others or of ourselves internally? When we feel like we're alone 
when we feel like everybody has turned our back on us? You want to hear the good news? The good news is that he says, I'm standing right there with you. Isaiah 41, 13, I hold you from your right hand. I am the Lord your God who is here to what? To help you. When everybody has walked away, he says, I am in the middle with you. That's good news. And God is so extravagantly good that not only does he say I'm with you, but you know how he tends to do that? Through people. Why do I push live love so much and we've got to live and love extravagantly? Why? Because he tends to talk through people like that. I don't have anybody to talk to, Poyo, and I'm lonely, but then there's somebody next to you having lunch with you or driving you over there or just sitting across your living room looking at you, maybe in tears. God tends to speak through people. This is why doing life with others is critical. When nobody else is there, God's there. And I can guarantee that you've got at least one person in your life. This is why I encourage the people of love and motion so much to do life together. He says, I'm with you right now. I am Emmanuel, God with you, living among you. Where are your accusers? Everybody slipped away. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Isn't that good? Where is everybody? Where is everybody who said you're a failure? You'll never make it. You're a piece of junk. Look at your past. You've got nothing to help you out. You seem to fall into the hole and dig it deeper every day. Every action, every thought is worse and worse. Where are the folks who are accusing you? They all slipped away. What are we seeing here? That God, one of His most beautiful attributes is that He stoops down and He humbles himself for us. And as he humbles himself, that's him standing in our defense and standing up for us. When the accusation comes from our own mind and our own hearts and the condemnation from others and the anxiety and the doubts and the fears, he says, I stooped down because I left heaven. This is God, the creator of the world, he left heaven to come and live among us. The, the chant of angels was holy, holy, holy. And Philippians chapter 2 says that he took on flesh and that he came and exchanged the chants of angels for the chants of men saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He came to be born in a manger. The son of God. He came to work in a carpentry shop, the Son of God. He came to sweat and live among us. He came to have dinner with 
thieves and with tax collectors and with prostitutes. And he said, I came for all those who are broken. Me. The Son of God came to give his life and be taken to a cross and be nailed to a cross, hands and feet, be speared in the side. Out of obligation? Because he had to? Because we did something that impressed him and he said they deserve it? We know the answer to that, right? On our best day, it's like filthy rags before him. But he says this, my love is so extravagant that I put your needs before mine. He says, my love is so extravagant that I leave this to come and do this. And he says to her in a loving and gentle way, he says, I don't condemn you either. You hear that? The forgiveness? What does she do to deserve it? Does she do anything? Does she impress him? No. She was guilty. It was very clear and very evident. Does she require works? Get your act together first? No. I don't either. Because I love you. I know you. I made you. I don't condemn you either. And as any good father would, right? As any good father would tell his son or his daughter, hey, go and sin no more. Right? We can look at that as, oh, that's a bad God because he made it conditional. Or we can see it as a loving father. Look how hurt you are right now. I don't want to see you like this again. So go and sin no more. You see the beauty in that? If I see my kids dropping the ball and doing something that will hurt them, guess what? I'm going to look at them, grab them from their hands, stare at them and say, don't do that again because this is hurting you and it's hurting those around you. It says, go and sin no more. You're forgiven already. I love you. I'm not sure if you guys have ever read or seen a novel by Victor Hugo, um, Les Mis. It's about a convict, main character, John Valjean. He's in prison for 19 years. Gets out. He's a vagabond, if you can imagine, in France. He's trying to find somebody to take him in. Nobody will take him in. He literally walks around with something that identifies him as an ex-convict. Nobody wants anything to do with him. He's the worst of the worst. Knocks on all these doors and what does he find? Condemnation and rejection. The voices in his head said, you will never amount to anything. Loser, you have failed again. And then he knocks on the door of a bishop, Monsignor Miro. And he gives them the opportunity to stay with him. They have dinner. The bishop brings out the only possessions that he has because he's lost a lot. And it's some silverware. Some silver candlestick holders. 
and they have dinner. After they have dinner, he says, that's where you can stay. The bishop goes to sleep, and John Valjean, the convict, the one who will never amount to anything, the thief, the crook, wakes up in the middle of the night and steals a silverware, walks out the door, says, see ya. He's caught by the police later. And the police say, ha, we knew we would fail, you would fail again. You're nothing. I'm going to prove this case, and you're going away forever. So he takes him back to the bishop's home. And when they arrive at the bishop's home, he says, Valjean, you forgot to take the silver candlestick holders too. I'm glad you came back for them. Here you go. And he dismisses the police. What happens here? Valjean's heart is changed. It melts by the grace and the love that is unpacked and put in motion. The novel goes on to tell us that Valjean goes on to become mayor of a small little town in France. He goes on to start up a factory and give jobs to a whole bunch of people. He adopts a little girl who is very ill. And everything changes. Why? He experienced what he had never, ever, ever experienced before. Grace and love that was unpacked. More than words, right? More than words. Unpacked and put in motion. What did he do to deserve it? Nothing. Like the woman, he was in the middle of the circle. The crowd was jeering at him. People were rooting for his failure. What did he experience? Love that was unpacked and put in motion. And he says this. He says, my brother, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. I'm not sure if today you're kind of searching. What does this thing mean? Who is Jesus? Is he good? Does he love me? Maybe you're like, I know who I am in him. I know he has called me his daughter. I know he has called me his son. He says, just believe. He doesn't ask us to do anything. He says, just believe. And when we do that, he says, you no longer belong to evil, but to good. And when we come into that encounter, we're never ever the same. We get new desires and things that we thought were thumbs up. He starts to do something in us and we're like, no, not that anymore. When we come into an encounter with God, the living God, it's kind of like being hit by a cement truck. You can't encounter God and look the same. Does that make sense? We are different. New creations. So who do we believe today? Do we believe the advocate, the one who stoops down and then stands up in our defense and says, slate is wiped clean every day? Do we believe the advocate, the one who loves so much that he gave his life? Or do we believe the accuser, the one who says, you are a failure, the one who 
perhaps at night whispers into your ear, into your heart, and says, you've got nothing to live for. There is no point of another day. Who do we choose to believe? The one who they call the father of all lies. The one who says, my purpose, quote, unquote, is to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy what? According to John 10.10, your life and your future and your destiny. That's the accuser's job. That's his mission statement. Like love and emotions is to love extravagantly. His mission statement on his wall in the gates of hell is to steal, kill, and destroy. Because when I steal, kill, and destroy your future and your destiny and the hope of a better reality, then you are of no use for the kingdom of God. You are of no use where you live, work, and play. I've stolen it all and I've accused you of being a nobody. But then, we hear God's beautiful whisper say, you are somebody. You are my daughter. You're my son and I'm well pleased with you. And I've got a future and a destiny and a great plan. And that is the beautiful news So what are the action steps with this message as I get ready to close up? Number one is for us to repent. There are two things to repent from here. At least two things. Have you ever stood in the shoes of the accusers? Think about that for just a moment. Have you ever been, for right now, not the woman there who is humiliated, but have you ever been on the outside crowd, gossiping and jeering and wishing the worst for others. That's just a personal thing right here, introspective. I don't need to know about it unless you care to share about it, maybe over coffee one day. But have you ever been that one? The accuser, the criticizer. I know I've been there. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for them. It's not healthy for me. It's not extravagant love. Scripture says that every word that comes out of our mouth should be to build others up. Think about that. Every word that comes out of our mouth should be to build others up. Truth and love. Not a pep talk. Not warm and mushy words that miss truth. It says encouraging words. So, have you ever been that accuser? If so, we we repent and we say, I'm sorry, God, because that's me. That has been me. Change me. Put a guard on my mouth. Let me be slow to speak. Let me be quick to listen. Let me be slow to anger. So we say, I'm sorry. We repent. It's a good thing. It's healthy because it does something in here, right? Because we got to own up to it. And the other thing we repent of is sinning against God. So it's against brothers, horizontally, brothers and sisters, and it's also vertically, against God. You ever miss the mark? I know I have. This morning. 
You ever miss the mark? He says, just acknowledge it. Because something good happens when we acknowledge. And here's a beautiful thing. He says, now receive. Receive what? Receive my grace. Receive my love. Receive my forgiveness. But Paul, I need to go get some stuff together first and then when all that is together, then I'll come and receive. No, he says, come as you are. The woman was right there, naked. Open your arms. Run to him. Don't come crawling with your palm like that, not wanting to look up. Come because he is a good father. Open your heart. Open your mind. Open your arms. Say, fill me. Fill me up. And receive. Jesus, we thank you because you invite us to come to you. You remind us that you never let go. You remind us that though we are broken vessels, that you are so close to be filling us up often, abundantly, more than enough. So we thank you today for your love, for your grace. We thank you for unpacking it and standing up for us today. It's in your son's name we pray.